Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Live in 12 Stone Home. And you know how sometimes you need to warm up to get to something? I don't need to warm up. Do you need, I'm ready. Are you ready? Can we just, can we just go after this all in? Because there is a driving thought, and I want to put it on the, the, the TV here, and I want you to see it with me. There's a driving thought through the day that matters to God, and God's going to help us rise up to the size of this, protect what is precious and fragile. That's all I want to say right now. Protect what is precious and fragile. In fact, if, if you're at 12 Stone Home, wherever you're gathered with family or friends, or, or you got a group together, or you're live, you're at one of the campuses, you're here at Hamilton Mill, I want you to read this loud with me. You ready? Here we go. Protect what is precious and fragile. Let's do it again with a little bit of fire. Catch up with me. Ready? Protect what is precious and fragile. If you didn't get it yet, tell the person sitting near you, hey, protect what is precious and fragile. Now, we're in week four in the book of Ephesians, and I want to tell a story along this line. I was 10 years old when we moved into a rental house, the next rental house. You'll see a picture of this rental house, and, and in this rental house, uh, the, the, right here, the door, the, this is the living room where, where you see the picture window coming in. And, and, and then just on the opposite side, it's probably 1,100 square foot uh, rental house. Just on the opposite side of the living room was a bulkhead and then the small little dining room. And, and, and in the dining room, they, they, the owners had left uh, like a serving buffet table. Let me, let me just give you a quick imagery. It's that kind of thing. It would look old because... That was a long time ago. That was in the, you know, the, the early 70s. So, so my mom thought this was fantastic because she was a collector of, of cups and saucers. Any of your grandparents or your mom or dad or whoever ever do this collecting cups and saucers? Any of you, like you see this stuff around? And, and, and so this was, this was precious to my mom. And she would display them and then put them in some of the cupboard areas. And, and, and these things are, she got them at Christmas and at birthdays. And I don't even know if the camera can pick this up, but I'll, I'll just hold this here for a second. See, if, it says 2 her birthday, February 13th. She turned 35 when she got this one. She passed away in 93. And uh, so each of the family members took a set of her cups and saucers because it's just a memory of what was precious to her, what was fragile. That was displayed in the dining room. Unfortunately, um, also in the dining room, uh, we decided to make it the basketball court. So uh, my dad taped up like a little Nerf basketball and up on the bulkhead. And, and then we played two on two. My dad was 31 at the time, and, and, and Randy was 13, and Ron was 12, and I was 10. And it was two on two, dad and I, against them. And so, so it was a basketball court. And, and mom's like, no, protect the cups. <laughs> what is precious and, and fragile. But of course, we would get into the game, right? 
Come on, we, we get into the game and we get into the goal and we get consumed with what we're doing and pretty soon we're roughhousing and we don't care so much about the cups. And so then somebody gets knocked into the cup and that's like, oh, it, we, we tried to glue these things together. You should have seen the artwork. It didn't look so good. And there were times my mom walked in and say anything. She just tears rolled down. She walked away. You know, when I got older, I figured it out. And we were so poor. I didn't understand how poor. And this is all she had. Like materially, there's something that had meaning to her. And, you know, if you love someone, you, you protect what is precious and fragile. And we didn't. I always, I always regretted that. Got the picture? Now let's go to Ephesians. I, the Apostle Paul, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk worthy with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. We're going to come back to that. Bearing with one another and eager to maintain or protect the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to protect this, this unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, let me just get to the point. God in his love for us has taken all the hostility and we live in a hostile environment. We have hostility toward God, toward one another. We can't get to the unity we long for. But in his love for us, he sends Jesus. And he restores us. He removes the hostility. He restores us to, to him and then to one another. And this unity, this unity is, is precious and it's fragile. And we have a way of getting in the, the game of life, of, of business and finance and the goals in life and, and election seasons and politics and COVID crazy. And, and we, we, our lives get consumed with the activity until we're roughhousing. And pretty soon we just, we just, we break the unity of the spirit. The very thing God said, no. No, that's, that's above. Protect the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We are to protect what's precious and fragile. So let's talk. Because we live in a hostile world, that hostility is not just in Washington, D.C. It's, it's in our communities. It's, it gets into our friendships. It gets into homes. It gets into marriages. It leaks into the church. We long to be a part of a place and a people. We wish we were in a nation that had unity. We, the things that wear you down and drive you nuts and just exhaust you. All the hostility stuff that sits there aggressively or passively. And the Spirit of God would wake us up. And today God is going to, he's going to interrupt us. I want to present a case for unity. A case for what? Unity. A case for unity over hostility. And that God is calling us to something higher. As a church, we are uniquely and distinctly called by the living God and made possible by him 
to live in, walk in something higher, a unity that the world doesn't know of. It's not available to the world. It's only available through him. And he's going to call us to this. And while we're all consumed by understanding with the game and the goals in life, and we get wrapped up in them, they are important but secondary. Important but what? Secondary to unity. That, I, I want to chase that down in today's teaching. So sit back, lean forward, whatever allows you to get into the size of the conversation we're going to have today. Because I touched on it about three weeks ago, and I said I would come back, and so here we are back to it. So let me put this on the screen for us. Protect what is precious and fragile. Protect the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's precious to God and us all, and it's fragile. So let's keep our whiteboard conversations in play. He's painting a picture for us. We live in a world that understands, experiences all kinds of hostility. But we also recognize that this world is under the leadership, if you will, under Satan. He, he would call, God would call it the kingdom of darkness. And that through Jesus, what does he do for us? Through Jesus. He brings us to unity. Unity is a God-ordained, God-created gift. And it's under Christ. There's no other way that this is possible. It's under Christ. And this is the kingdom of light. This unity that we long for and would love to have in the world, God has made possible in us through his church. So we're going to walk through what does this look like? And in the book of Ephesians, he puts a couple of clear, progressive perspectives for us to understand. I'm about what you need to know, what you need to do. What you need to know is that Jesus made the unity. So get this, Jesus made the unity. We don't make it, we don't create it. He purchased it. That's what the first part of Ephesians talks about. It even lays that out through the rest of chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Ephesians. And all that he's teaching there is unfolding this. We've moved from hostility because Christ removed it to unity. So we're just going to keep talking through this until it just soaks into your soul. And then when you figure that out, what do you do? You maintain the unity of the Spirit. You maintain the unity. We protect it. So Jesus purchased it. We protect it. Jesus purchased it. We protect it. He made it possible. We maintain it. Everybody got it? Good. Let's talk. Next level. Jesus made the unity. Now, you need to listen in on a long section of Scripture. It's five of these, okay? You're like, how long is this? Is it five? I'm going to read through five segments on the TV. And just let the, the, the strength of what God did for us come through. Paul writes, therefore, this is in light of the fact that Christ has redeemed us. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. In other words, these two groups fighting. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. That was your condition. But now in Christ, and we've taught that in Christ thing, now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made the two groups one, wow, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. 
So this hostility between us, Jesus dealt with. He did this by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of the two. So that's one new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. So we're reconciled with our hostility with God and with one another, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Wow. Life-changing. Huge hostility. Huge hostility. Between the two groups. There was religious hostility between the Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles just means non-Jew. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. There's the two groups. And there's hostility, religious hostility between them. There's, there, there is ethnic hostility be, between them. And this isn't going to be easily solved because the Jews saw themselves as, well, supreme. There's Jewish supremacy because, after all, they're chosen by God. This is deep in their core. From the time of Abraham to Jesus walking on the earth, we are the chosen. Feel pretty good about ourselves. Others are beneath them. They wouldn't perhaps even consider it hostility. We don't eat with Gentiles. They're beneath us. The Gentiles, they had their own hostilities. After all, the Romans did conquer the Jews, right? <laughs> hey, Roman supremacy. Listen, there was so much hostility that if we just sat in this for the next 30 minutes and you understood how deeply this ran, you would know the size of what Paul is teaching. No political party was going was to solve this deep-seated hostility. And then the work of Jesus. It says he removed the wall of hostility. Jesus, by his work, did not make Jews Gentiles. He didn't make Gentiles Jews. What he did is he took two groups who were hostile. He restored them to their heavenly father and therefore restored them together. So two groups become one because we share the same heavenly father. So in this, God is supreme. God is supreme. Say it with me, everybody. What is it? God is supreme. Listen how powerful that is. You see, as soon as God becomes supreme, which he always has been and always will be, but as soon as God becomes supreme in you and the hostility between you and God is resolved, the hostility between you and everybody else is resolved because now that you know God is supreme and when God is supreme, no ethnicity is supreme. Listen, there's no Jewish supremacy. There's no Roman supremacy. There's no white supremacy. There's no black supremacy. There's no Hispanic supremacy. There's no ethnic supremacy. There is just God who is supreme. You get that settled, and it resolves all the hostility, and you have unity. Oh, you have what? Unity over what? Hostility. Say it with me. You have what? Unity over hostility. How is that possible? Jesus. Watch this. I'm going to put a little caution here. We move from hostility to unity because of Jesus. Stay with me on this because there's several things I want to teach today. I think the Spirit of God wants us to hear. We've got to hear it inside our culture and the way we operate, particularly in this nation. A whole bunch of sincere, well-meaning Christians in our American culture. 
know the problem of hostility, as we all do in our nation. And we have this unity, this oneness in the body of Christ. And so well-meaning and well-intentioned, they try and bring unity to the world by saying, look, we have a unity of oneness in the church and we can bring that right into the world. We're gonna march unity into the world because we have it in the church. Listen carefully. The mission of the church is, to not, bring, is not to bring unity to the world. That is not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to bring Jesus to the world. When we bring Jesus to the world, when we bring Jesus to the world, then they are brought into unity in Christ and with one another. You cannot bypass Jesus and produce unity that is unique to the church because of Jesus, because we have a world who's in hostility to God, and you can't have unity that removes hostility with one another without first resolving the hostility with God, which Jesus did, and then resolves the hostility with one another. And there is no way in all your sincere efforts that you can march the church's unity into the world and have this work. You can only bring Jesus to the world, and Jesus transforms them, and we get a unity that is by Christ. Does that make sense? Because this right here is important in the culture in which we live. These are really deep, necessary, critical, and important thoughts. And so therefore, if you're a true follower of Jesus, think about this. If you're a true follower of Jesus, are you working harder? Listen, listen, listen. Are you working harder to bring unity to the world or Jesus to the world? See, the faults supremacy of any ethnicity is immediately resolved when they figure out who is supreme and they come under Christ. That's how we get unity. Get right with God, we get right with one another. And the peace we long for, really even in marriage and family and friendships, but here in the community of Christ, comes by him. It's made by Jesus. Let's go right back to the screen. Jesus what? Made. Say it with me. Jesus what? Made the unity. He purchased it. That's what we're learning in Ephesians. That's what Paul wants to help us understand. The Holy Spirit teaches us that it doesn't stay there. Then we maintain the unity of the Spirit. So now, now this moves to the next segment. Like, okay, now what do you do? Once you know all this, we've walked through, what do you do? So let's, let's move on. I, Apostle Paul, therefore, urge you as a prisoner for the Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So rise up to the height of what you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Now he gives us two things to do. We're gonna get practical. The rest of the time is practical. And you're gonna watch my the speed of my communication increase. Keep up if you can. I got lots to say. Okay, bearing with one another in love. That's one of the practical things. Bear with one another in love. How are we going to have a practical unity? Jesus made it supernaturally possible. Now, no hostility with God, no hostility with one another, but but we got to deal with one another. How are you going to deal with one another? Well, you have to bear with one another in love and, and be eager, eager to maintain, protect the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager. I mean, you make every effort to maintain, protect the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So I'm going to give you some practical stuff. The first one is this. Protect the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the, the, unity of the Spirit. Tell each other at 12-stone home and live, the unity of the who? This isn't our unity, it's his. 
and you're still protecting the unity of the spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit, who has always established Christ as first. Hear me. If I'm going to give you a sentence, it's Christ before constitution or culture. Listen, it's Christ before constitution or culture. I, I, awesome. That means I'm, it's making sense. That's encouraging. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God through Christ. He made all that possible. I'm a citizen of the USA. Some of you listening to this outside the US, but I'm going to speak in the context of the US. And we have a constitution. And I live in a culture with all kinds of people and all kinds of opinions. And in a sense, I'm a citizen of the culture. I got to know, how do I operate in this world? How do I maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace inside the church while I live inside a country, while I live inside a bigger world? Glad you asked. Let's just unpack that. Because I've made it my intention. I've pastored this church for over 32 years now. And I've chosen, I felt convicted. God can change it whenever he wants. Not to make this platform a political platform. And I get to define what that means. What that always meant is I've chosen not to bring politicians and put them on stage because I think it adds to the division. But others will do that, pastors, and I applaud them. They have their conviction. That's mine. I'm not convinced my primary role is to tell you how to vote or who to vote for. Keep listening. My primary role is to keep Christ at the top. And so I will teach scripture. And anything that's biblical, I am free to teach, even if the world calls it political. Because it was biblical first. It's always biblical. I don't care if the world politicizes it or not. It's still biblical. I'm free to teach on it. You say, I thought you were talking about politics. I'm not. I'm talking about scripture, not politics. World messed that up. That's all right. I'm always over here. Equally, we have a constitution. The constitution of the United States is the foundation of my citizenship and yours. Talking about the Constitution is not political. Interpreting it might be, but talking about it is not. It's foundational. You, have a, you are a citizen thereof. But I choose not to stand here and tell you which political party you must join, nor am I going to establish a church that is defined by its political party first. We're going to put Christ first, and if you fully follow him, you'll figure out how to walk out the Constitution and how to walk out the culture. Let's talk about Christ first. So if it's not clear, let me make sure I'm being clear. Because I might not have been. It happens. I don't know how, but it happens. Christ. Constitution. Culture. And the order matters. Say it with me. The what? Order matters. So let's talk about it. Christ is first. Here's what that means. If the Constitution or the culture contradicts Christ, I stand with Christ. That's what that means. Now, that means when Scripture teaches about itself, when Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 and says, all Scriptures God breathed and is profitable. It's profitable for training in righteousness, for correcting us, for giving us the wisdom and the will of God. The Bible, the Bible serves if you will, as our truth. And therefore, in Christ, we are anchored to truth, not tolerance. We're anchored to truth. And therefore, this establishes what is right, good, and holy, and pleasing to God. And we seek to please 
him. So, so we start with Christ is my first citizenship and my first loyalty. That's where it begins. And so we, what do you, what do we unite around? Well, then we unite around the fact that God is our creator. We're created in the image of God. We unite around the fact that, that we've sinned and it's cost us our relationship with him. We unite around the fact that Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah, the savior of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through him. We unite in those truths. We unite in the truth that it is the heart of God that all would come to salvation. We unite in those truths. We, we unite around the fact that there is eternal life and eternal death and we live forever and our, how we respond to Jesus matters. Hey, we, we, we unite as a church around the mission of the church to reach spiritually lost people. I mean, that's our calling. We, we unite around that. We unite around the power of prayer in the name of Jesus. We unite around being holy as he is holy. Listen, I, I said three weeks ago, we need a 90-minute conversation around the sovereignty of God, the free will of man, the process of salvation, once saved, always saved, live like hell, go to heaven, blah, 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 all that uh, adoption and predestination. and Do you remember that? And I said, if you want it, just say PK do 90. I just want you to know, we did that this week. Jason and I sat down, we captured it. It'll be available starting tonight at six o'clock. Listen to it all, listen to segments, get through it, but it matters. Get inside this. It's been done. It's available to you. So, got to help us on this. Now, that, that's Christ. Protect the unity of the Spirit. God is first. Then, Constitution. I have a second citizenship, and it's in this world. Now, listen, my citizenship in Christ is preeminent, it's first. Above my ethnicity, above my nation, above the culture. When I get to the Constitution, I am a citizen of the United States. I know others of you outside the country, you can apply it appropriately. And my second loyalty is to my nation. And the foundation of that is the Constitution. Which means we are united as a nation above our ethnicity, above our opinions. We are a democratic republic. We don't vote on the Constitution. We vote on president, vice president, representative leaders, but we don't vote on the Constitution. We are a democratic republic. We're not socialists. We're not communists. We're not Marxists. We have a Constitution that's pre-established. We don't vote on the Constitution as Americans any more than Christians vote on the Bible or a marriage has the freedom of adultery. There are things that are locked in in citizenship, and that's what it means to be a part. So I have a citizenship in the United States of America. I am loyal to that unless it contradicts with Christ. So therefore, if a U.S. courtroom makes a decision that redefines something other than what Christ taught, I stand with Christ. So just so you know... That's what Christians do. And I know that's weighty in this world, but if they redefine marriage or they redefine equality of all ethnicities or they redefine sanctity of life or they redefine the rights of parents or they redefine human sexuality or pedophilia or the like, I stand with Christ on that. Third is culture, which means I live in a culture of more people than me. And I, listen, I can value people without embracing their values. Jesus did. I mean, all of us live in a world bigger than ourselves. Jesus loved people. Listen, Jesus, Jesus was in a hostile world 
under Satan's control, the world, and in a kingdom of darkness, but he was light and followed the will of his father in heaven. So he was in the world, but not of the world. That's true for all of us. So we're called to love people like Jesus loved people. But the culture is tethered by tolerance. And that tethering by tolerance is often educated in secular thought. It's often formed in social media. It's often pressured by popular opinion. I know that. You know that. I live inside that culture. But Jesus loved people, and I got to learn to get along and live with people and love people just like Jesus did. And you know what's at risk? Getting this wrong. What's at risk is then I live in the culture, and pretty soon I, I, I mess up, and some people will put Constitution and then Christ and then culture, and they bring that into the church, and I'm telling you, it destroys the unity of church. You might as well just pick up what's precious and throw it down, because if you bring the constitutional conversation and put it ahead of Christ and say, we got to be a political church, you're going to divide, add hostility, and undo every good thing that Christ established when he restored us to our Father in heaven. There are things that are first, and the order matters. You bring culture first, and you say, oh yeah, I follow culture. You don't even know if you're doing it. Or, and then I put Christ or I put constitution. You get the order wrong and you bring all sorts of hostility back into the life of the church and the very things that were once precious while you end up in the dining room mishandling the game and your goals. You get so consumed and obsessed with them. You start thinking you're following Christ. As if Jesus has somehow given you permission to take the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. <laughs> that is the power of Christ to keep you from screwing us up. <laughs> that was awesome. I did that. On, I wish I could have done that on purpose. Has some of you figured out that a couple of those cups are not my mom's. <laughs> You're smart people. Because those are fine china. And you protect. What is precious. What is fragile. The thing that God said. I've made it. You maintain it. I can't tell you how to do all the maintaining. I can just tell you, it's on you. It's on me. It's on us to get this right. Christ first. First citizenship. Then, yes, your country, your nation. Then, yes, culture. And the order matters. Then the same scripture teaches us to bear with one another. Man, there was a section I pulled from the teaching. It's in my notes. It's scratched out. It drives me nuts. I get a good lead. I have to scratch it out. It's, it's 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first eight verses, which tells us the first thing we should do is pray. Salvation prayers for the world, even for our king. That meant Paul was praying for Nero, but Nero took Paul's life and beheaded him. Wow. Learn from that. And to quit arguing and disputing so that we learn how to pray. Why are we in this 50 days of prayer? 
Because if we don't stop adding to the hostility and joining in the unity, I think we destroy the cup of fellowship we were created for. And you got to bear with one another in love. Now, bear with one another in love, that's not some soft ask from God. That's a calling to something higher. Listen, God bore with you. Do you understand this? God had to bear with your sin. God patiently, lovingly has given you grace and forgiveness. Keep listening. What God did for you, you we do for one another. What God did for you, we do for... Don't make this more complicated than this. It's just, it's just really difficult to live out, isn't it? Because people are a bear to live with. Oh, my goodness, are you annoying. Right? I mean, isn't that your experience with people? And then God says, in the midst of very annoying people that I have redeemed... Make every effort to bear with them. See, Jesus purchased unity with his death. You protect unity with your life. Bear with one another in love. That does not mean you bear with one another's sin. That's just not permission. We all live in sin. That's not loving someone. That's hating someone. That's like letting you know, friends drive drunk. I mean, our, even our culture knows you don't do things that, that destroy people. So this, it's not, we help one another in the midst of temptation to not step into sin. We help one another. We help a rising generation. If that's not clear to you, let me give you a tongue-in-cheek video. Just a moment of smile, because I have a little bit of smile as we wrap all this teaching up for the next several minutes. Let me just give you a little smile of what I mean by helping one another with temptation. And you'll figure out maybe what this is mimicking. Check it out. The 1966 E-Type Roadster. My father spent three years restoring this car. It is his love, it is his passion, it is his fault he didn't lock the garage. Don't even think about it. Uh, hi, Dad. Been there, done that. With LiftMaster powered by MyQ, know what's happening in your garage from anywhere. Kids. All right, what movie is that mimicking? Ferris Bueller's Day Off, fantastic. Hey, you know, we interrupt one another, we help one another, we don't let each other fall into sin. When he says bear with one another, he's not empower one another's sin, but, but here's the reality. The work of Christ removes the consequences of sin, praise be to God, removes hostility and restores us to our Heavenly Father and with one another. However, it didn't remove all your imperfections. You are imperfect. You're annoying. You're difficult. Can you own it? How many people know that's true of them? How many people? Look at the people whose hands are out. You're, you're a 12 stone home. I want to do it in the room again. How many people know you're annoying and difficult? Put your hand up. Okay. If you don't have your hand up, if you don't have your hand up, come on. What are we doing here? Do you know the people with no hand up are the most annoying and the most difficult? Those are the people you're working on. You're, you're sitting there thinking, dear God, would they listen? Right? You're not even listening. You're praying. God, help. Help my spouse. Help my kids. Kids, get in here. Get in here. They need this. You got to bear with one another in love. We're going to have to put up with one another and hold back. Bear with means hold back. You don't say everything you think. You surrender everything you think to God. And then you figure out what you can say. You just vomit on somebody. 
leave it for everybody to clean up. That's not the freedom of the spirit. It's just immaturity. My freedom in this country, freedom. Okay, I got, I got to set my notes. I'm off notes. <laughs> Bear with one another includes be heard and hear. Write it down. Be heard and hear. Write it down. Be heard and hear. It takes time and energy to communicate. And bear with one another in love means you work through it until you understand what the person said and what they meant because that is not always clear. We have people yelling at each other, saying things to each other, texting things to each other, and it's not, we're not on the same page. Travis Billman thought we needed help to understand this. So he wrote a couple of minutes of a vignette that he directed for our sake. It, it's called, It's Go Time, Baby. Check it out. She drew on the wall again? Ugh. <sighs> Babe, I need a break. I'm exhausted from this house being a mess. I need your help. Don't worry, baby girl. Daddy's got you. Uh, help is just a phone call away. LOL. LOL? Right. Are you making jokes? I'm sure your daddy can help you later. I'm sure your daddy can help later? I asked my dad about helping with a project one time because you don't know anything about electrical work. I don't need dad. I need my husband's help. Are you flirting with me? Sounds like it's a perfect job for your daddy. Daddy, what is your deal? Let it go, Frank. I'm not gonna call my dad. No, this bedroom is filthy. This is a job for a housekeeper. <laughs> Role playing? I don't. I don't know if you can afford this housekeeper. Afford this housekeeper? I just got laid off, Frank. And we are in a pandemic! You really want to do this over text? I really want to do this over text. I'd rather do it in person. In person. All right, here we go. Bring it on. Yes. It's go time, baby. It's go time, baby. <laughs> Same words, completely different meanings, right? Hey, that's going on all the time, which means you got to bear with one another in love. It takes time to communicate. You, it takes time to be heard in here. I'm going to do something we don't have any time for, but it's so helpful. I'm going to do it anyway. Thanks, PK. You're welcome. What does it mean to be engaged in 100% legitimate, helpful communication that bears with one another in love? What does it look like? Because most people never fully communicate. Marcia and I figured out in the second decade of our marriage, we really don't know how to communicate in a way that bears with one another in love. We really don't know how. The first 25% of communication is being heard. Being what? 
heard. Someone has to be heard. So we mutually agreed that when we are in conflict and our words are not matching and we're clearly moving into hostility away from unity, we need to communicate better. Somebody has to be heard. We live in a culture that says, I want to be heard. Everybody wants to be heard. Great. It's only the first 25%. So Marcia speaks, and I confirm I have heard her until she says, you have heard my words and my heart. You understand what I'm saying. I got to decode and listen long enough, which means I'm bearing with her. When she lays it out, I can't be loading my gun for what I'm about to say next. My goal is not to be heard. It's to hear her. So first 25%, somebody has to be heard. We're not done. The second 25%. That person now has to hear. Whoever did, whoever got heard first now hears. You get it? Like when I step back, I let her speak. She's heard. When she's done, it's my turn. This is what go time baby meant. This is, this is where I thought we were going. And she hears me. We're only 50% of the way through the conversation. The next 25% is we have to solve it. Together, let's solve it. What's the plan? How do we get together and walk in unity? We got to learn how to make every effort to be in unity. We got to bear with one another. So we're going to have to come to some kind of compromise that allows us to work together. But then we're only 25% of the way there. Last 25% of communication is to actually do it. We're going to actually live this out. Listen, if all you do is get heard, you're 25% of the way there. That builds hostility and kills relationship because... If the moment you're heard, you feel better, you skip hearing them, you go to your solution, you start implementing your plan, and nothing ever went anywhere, it's still hostility. Our nation does not know how to communicate. The entire nation is yelling at each other, I want to be heard. Great, welcome to forever hostility. It's terrifyingly immature. This is not the church that stops at 25%. We do the whole thing. Bear with one another in love. When I keep going. Finally, I wrap this up. And it includes battling the social dilemma. I was going to play a trailer, which I don't do, to a movie documentary from Netflix called The Social Dilemma. If you've not seen it, I'm going to recommend you see it. It is a group of people who help create the technology and concede that social media that connects us is actually tapping into our narcissism, feeding our hostility, and fueling our disunity. And it is dangerous. They are manipulating behind the scenes. You ought to watch it. It's one of the reasons we would say in this season, we're going to pull off from posting political things in social media, and we're going to put that energy into prayer, because only God can solve the hostility. Bear with one another means you're going to have to battle some of the most difficult things, even in a world of social media. I can't teach it. I'm just going to tell you, go watch. And when you watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix, watch it all the way to the end. One of the last things one of the creators of this whole social media stuff said is I fear most that we're moving towards civil war. At the very close during the credits, they talked about how they're pulling their kids out of social media, the authors of it. It's that destructive. 
we, what do we do? Protect what is precious and fragile. Bow your heads. Father, how incredibly kind of you that you remove the hostility. With you, with one another. We have a supernatural unity. God, would you help us learn to maintain? Would you change how we operate in the dining room of your kingdom? And in that, oh God, would you teach us how to protect the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? Right now, you're awakening things in us as you have been through the teaching. You're telling some of us right now what's got to change. You're calling us up to something higher. We're not bearing with one another in love. We're not doing real communication. We're consumed with the culture and the social media, and we're feeding hostility. God, there are things you're requiring of us to rise up to the size of our calling. May we rise up to it. Whatever you have to say to Jesus, you confirm, Lord, I'm in. I'm all in to protect what is precious and fragile. By the grace of God in me, in Jesus' name. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.